Hello and welcome to the things they talked about, starring Adrian Rodriguez, Julian Enriquez, Rofi Howard, Michael Arvalo. Episode three, and today we're gonna talk about chapters church through speaking of courage. All right, I have chapter church, and my question is, when they find the church in the abandoned area, do you think Ko Kiowa? wants to be in church because of the war and he wants to be forgiven for the people he's killed or it's just something that he's always wanted to do because he did talk about always wanting to be a minister when he was younger but do you think the war maybe helped him influence to be of course i feel like yeah of course so if he because he said he thought about that when he was a kid and he wanted to do that when he was older and i just the war just added to it probably and made him feel like that he needs that in his life yeah, I think it, uh, the war put more pressure on him to, you know, be a priest and, uh, or not a priest, minister. Um, sorry, minister, sorry, and, you know, go into that, go in that religion and um, have that God with you on your side and stuff. And, like, uh, yeah, because uh, Kyo is, like, also religious, right? Like, he carries the Bible with him, too, so maybe that's, like, why he wants to be in the church in the first place. Second question. The image of the monk cleaning the M60 is encouraged and jarring. What is the purpose? What purpose does it serve in the story? Uh, I, I kind of feel like it's because a monk doing that is kind of against the norm. It doesn't feel right. So I feel like it really just emphasizes the fact that like in war, really anything goes like it's it's you're staying alive and that's what it is period and so i feel like yeah. the monk is just really really showing that yeah it's like a sort of an irony like how the monk you know chose a life of you know no violence but instead he's here cleaning a gun to kill other people for protection and stuff so yeah yeah the cleaning of the gun it's like very weird for a monk to do because <laughs> they are like supposed to be peaceful and stuff and yeah, how does he know to do that yeah all right, next chapter. All right, um, I had uh, the, both the chapters, The Man I Killed and Ambush. Ooh, these are good chapters. So um, my, first, my first question, so in the chapter, The Man I Killed, O'Brien goes into a very deep talk about the soldier he killed, like with many brutal face injuries and like a bad description of all that. And so then continuing into ambush his daughter asks him if he's ever killed anyone so he responds then with a the entire story of like how he killed this how he killed this soldier and so so he talks about rubber shoes and a shaped hole showing that like it is the same character why does he have why does he tell the same story twice and like reiterate and like go really in depth about this whole um, situation i think it's because to like make an emphasis on you know the the action he did and what happened in that whole the whole thing, uh, that's why he goes into the great detail, right, of how he killed that man, or, yeah, and his facial features and everything. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. He explains it, like, I think it's just his guilt taking over, and oh. just continues. It's like repeating himself and stuff. You can't be kind of respectful for that man, because he, he did kill him, so he just wanted to be like, he had to do what he had to do, but... He wants to be more respectful. So he says star-shaped, the same question. He says star-shaped hole a lot. What does a star-shaped hole look like to you? Um, you know, yeah, I think it looks like a star. But like, what, could, like, what do you think about that? How are you going to make a star imprint on like somebody's head? Like, doesn't that seem weird? Oh, okay. A star-shaped hole? A cookie cutter. Yeah, but he, it was a good name that killed him. Like, how does it make a star-shaped hole? I think, oh, I think, okay, here. I think it is, or like, I don't think it's symbolic. I think it was the way he took that, that he took that, um, that killing or that murder in front of him. 
where like a grenade would blow up and after he saw his friend die or after he saw this man dead all he saw was like, a star-shaped hole and for him a star meant something else deeper and I think that star me meant like you know um, how oh well I think the star meant for him since he saw it for himself that it meant like these five points of how <laughs> he wanted to um how these five points of oh man Mike want to help me out here <laughs> uh, I mean he saw a star shape I don't think it really symbolized anything it's just like an explosion so. <laughs> I I think maybe a star because when you when you think of a star you think of like something beautiful <coughs> But I'm really, I don't know what a star shaped, um, that's a really good question because I, I have no idea. Okay, um, we'll zip that one then. Um, so after, after throwing the grenade in ambush, he like, he almost starts like hoping that the soldier moves and like gets away in time. And the soldier doesn't, obviously, but um, I feel like from personal experience, when you go through something like traumatic or like crazy, you almost like when you think about, back about it, you don't remember it well. So at one point he starts talking about like, he'll be like, I didn't hear the grenade go off but it was a dim grenade sound, but it was really loud. And he like starts contradicting himself about like what he remembers happening. Do you think it's a case of like, he didn't fully remember and it was too like hectic in his mind? Yeah, yeah, cause there's like situations where you go through where it's too intense for you to even comprehend what's going on. So you, you put in your own ideas to make, make it have sense. So I think that's what he was doing, but he, he kept adding it. So it can make sense to him so that he wasn't, you know, going crazy. Mm, yeah, well, um, I think AJ is on the right track there. We're just, you know, the sense of him going crazy and um, having that sense of, you know, crazy, that insanity, insanity within him and seeing that, you know, he's trying to just, he's trying to make up for the fact that someone just died in front of him. He's trying to put facts in front, or like other facts in front of him to try to, you know, deal with that pain at that time. and. Yeah. Yeah. Um, having somebody die in front of you, it's, it's probably like, gruesome and disgusting. So, <laughs> he just had a lot going through his head. I don't think he really knew how to react to it or respond to it. Yeah. All right, that concludes my questions. Oh, yeah. I just realized I do. Okay. All right, so the next chapter is style. Oh, and I like style. That one, that one was a really good chapter. I really, yeah, it was, it was about it was really. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, before before you answer your question, Michael, AJ, what's your favorite part in uh, style? Well, I think we should we should listen to Michael's questions, and then I can emphasize on what I like the most about it. Okay. Ah. All right. So the first question. After the village is burned down, uh, there's like a girl who's about 14 years old, as described in the book, and she starts to dance. <coughs> Why, do you think she starts dancing because she's discouraged of what happened like after all her family did just die and get burned to death? So you think she dances because she's discouraged or because she doesn't know what to do? Uh, well, yeah, I, I thought that was so weird. To find, like, something to make her feel better. Uh, yeah, I think it was just something like taking over her body and she has nothing, she doesn't know what to do. Like, this isn't happened on the reg. Like, her family's gone now, so she probably just starts dancing to clear her mind. Do you, do you think her dancing symbolizes something? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it could, but. Yeah, no, I think I think it does, because 
dancing in many cultures means like different things, how you know you express your feelings. That's what it meant like in history. People dance to express their feelings. That's what some animals do sometimes is to dance to express their feelings. And for other mates and stuff. So I think with this girl when she was dancing, she's expressing her feelings of how she lost all these all her family in the village with the fire. And that fire just also is a symbolism of how, you know, it's always something, there's always something burning, always something bad, hap bad happening and going, something bad that's going to happen. That's a really good point, but I also want to say, like, of all the books I've read, this scene and the scene from Sweetheart are, like, two of the weirdest scenes, like, I've ever read on the planet. That's, yeah, why, I, that's I why I like I this chapter so much, because I've never really had a book that pulls me in and then confuses me like that. But so. like super duper odd and I feel like it even just adds more so to like it's war and like anything can happen and like you never know what's gonna happen. I feel like just really bizarre chapter. I think I think it, it's definitely symbolic of like exactly what Julian said. I think that's a really good point. Question two. So um <coughs> Bizarre's, when Azar sees the girls dancing he starts to mock the girls. And Henry Dobbins also starts dancing, but he actually follows and like respects her. So while Azar is, mock is mocking her, Henry basically threatens him and says, "Do you want to get thrown over a well?" Um, why do you think he he tells Azar that? And do you think it's because he feels like he's like feels sympathetic of what just happened to her? Of course, yeah, of course, yeah. He's he's being he's being he's doing his best to like almost sympathize with the girl and like show her that like she's not alone and I feel like it really like helped her in the chapter and him and Azar being a never mind a a all about it um really uh I, like I I feel like it just it opened it opened up the the like what we think of as a soldier and what we think of in war because up until now it's mostly been a lot of just like dark stuff like even Azar with the chocolate bar like after how he's like oh I feel bad for whoever couldn't kill that kid and like it always seemed to be like the bad side but this like is the first time I feel in the book where we see like something like happy yeah, yeah I feel like yeah I feel like I have to agree with everything Brophy said I was like he summed it up perfectly like he's trying to he's trying to honor what happened to that little girl's family and trying to honor what you know what she's trying to do and what she's trying to have respect you know have just respect for and yeah, I think it's like it's like dev, it's like uh, having like a devil and an angel, and um, having the guy you know disrespect to the dance, and how he's just trying to mock her. I feel like it's a symbol for like the evil that happens in the war, and the other guy that's trying to you know actually follow her and respect what she's trying to do, and just be with her at that time, is you know a symbol of like an angel, like you know or, like good the goodness of like what can happen in the war. Thank you, Jason. Uh, so, last chapter, right? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah, uh, that was me. I had speaking of courage, and in the chapter, Norman, Book Norman Booger goes back to his hometown in Iowa. He goes to drive around in his father's old car, and then he comes to a realization that he has nowhere to go. So do you think him having nowhere to go is a deeper meaning for something? Or is it just a brutally remote, you know, honest thing of literally saying he has nowhere to go? No, to there's totally a deeper meaning. There, he, it's both. He literally has nowhere to go. And symbolically, people coming from for more don't know what to do. They don't have anywhere to go. They don't feel at home. So it's both. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree with Brophy. Brophy. <laughs> it, it really is both because, I mean, what, what can you do when you get back when you go back home from war, I mean, you can't they're like traumatized and stuff. PTSD. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a uh, follow-up to that question is, um, 
So what do you think that's symbolic of, of him saying he has nowhere to go? He comes to a realization that he has nowhere to go. And do you ever feel like you yourself have nowhere to go? No, I don't because I always feel like I have somewhere to go. Either because I have Google Maps on or I have uh, the home. But I, symbolically for him, you know, it's just, it's tough coming back for more because you don't, you don't know what peace is really, so. I think, I think him having nowhere to go was just like, um, really, I think he just needed time to just think. That's why he drove the truck. I mean, he started think, reminiscing about his, his yeah. ex-girlfriend, Sally. Yeah. <clears throat> married, and then he started thinking about his, his old friend Max. Mm -hmm. So him having nowhere to go was just having time for him to think. Uh, I feel like yeah, it's a symbol. It's like what all like veterans always talk about. Like even with the podcast or the TED talks we listen to, like they have nowhere to go when they get back, and they feel lost and they feel like they don't mm -hmm. like belong there. So yeah. All right. Okay. So um, later in that chapter, Booger reveals that while they were camping out. Um, in Vietnam, motors fell onto their campground where they were camping, and around the third motor, motor, um, he he hears a scream and he hears Kiowa scream, and he looks around and sees Kiowa stuck in the muck. So he goes to try to help Kiowa, but um, Boker finds out that if the later the more he tries to help Kiowa, the the more he's gonna get stuck in the muck. So then he leaves Kiowa there, and then. Um, to save, he leaves Kiwa there to save, to save himself and lets go of Kiwa, and Kiwa later dies after that. So the question is that, well, first imagine yourself in Boker's shoes, and the question is that, what would you do in, this, in that exact situation that Boker was in, and how would you, you know, respond to everything that happened after? Well, if, I mean, if he knew he was going to get, he was going to, like, more caught up in that mud, the more he try to help, like there's literally no other option to do. Yeah. I mean, you might as well save yourself. But I mean, if he, I don't know, it's tough. It's, it's tough leaving him. But also, I mean, if you know, you, you kind of want to be by his side. But then again, you're gonna get stuck too, and you'll both die, and it'll just be pointless. So I think, I think um, Norman did what he thought was right mm -hmm. <clears throat> but at the end it, like he paid the consequences and you know one of his friends Kiowa ends up dying Mm -hmm. So he's gonna feel really guilty. Yeah, the the guilt will always be there, but I feel like that's the best option that he had. There wasn't much else he could do, especially because he kept singing more and more and more. That like there was nothing, nothing at all he could have done other than getting himself out of there. So I feel like it's just a tough situation, and it's just like what has to happen. Mm. I think that's why the chapter is uh, speaking of courage too. You know. Oh, that's oh, oh wow. look at this guy. He could be. Wow. Yeah. Lack of courage. He just left his friend there to die. Oh, okay. And then I have, there's another question. It was, um, <laughs> sorry, it was, there was another question. Um, <clears throat> towards the end of the chapter, it's saying, um, oh, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, what's his, I can't pronounce his name right now. Um, Boker, Boker, sorry. I'm sorry, Boker. He goes, he, he goes into the lake. He stops, he stops his car, goes into the lake. After like the 11th time driving around the lake, he goes into the lake submerges himself inside the lake and then he stands up folding his arms <clears throat> and watches the holiday fireworks and then he thinks to himself that these are pretty good fireworks for you know such a small town so out of that out of that whole thing what do you think 
all that is really based around and it's just symbolic for. Oh. Yeah. He says he submerges himself oh. in the water with his clothes on and everything. Well, you see, and, like, Water symbolizes a lot of stuff. Yeah. Oh, and this, yeah. And this this is after he he reminisces about what happened in the war and. So I, yeah yeah that's a good call. Cleans for himself, you know, and almost a restart, and then like starting it off good kind of thing with the fireworks and everything. So yeah, that's a really good point. That was really yeah, cause like and symbolism, water is cleansing, baptism, so yeah, just he goes in, cleanses, and then usually. Soldiers have PTSD from fireworks and those gunshots or whatever. Oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe the fireworks. Yeah, do you think? Oh, like always, like looking back at the war when yeah. he sees a fire, fireworks yeah. and what happened. Oh, I want to make a funny point. Is are we done? By the way. Oh we, yeah. I want to make a funny okay. point. Oh, yeah. Wait, do you have one more? Oh no, no, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Go, go, go. <laughs> All of our podcasts up to then, every time we asked if something was symbolic, Michael would just shoot it down super hard, <laughs> and now he just came up with like the three like best symbols we've ever seen. Thank you, Mr. Guinness. Have a blessed day, blessed weekend. If you're listening to this, my favorite English teacher, my only English teacher in this grade. All right. Well, yeah. I think that's and a that good podcast. Is the things they talked about. Starring three. Part a, starring AJ Rodriguez. Julian Enriquez. Murphy Howard. Michael Arvalo. Stay tuned.